welcome to the CND podcast. I'm Features Editor Thomas Cox. While most people who contract COVID-19 make a fast and full recovery, the UK COVID-19 symptom study shows that 10% of people are still showing lasting effects three weeks after showing signs of the illness, with some suffering for months. Clinical editor Nima Kalachand spoke about this topic to a panel of experts working in colour geology, respiratory systems, infectious diseases and mental health in a webinar that first broadcasted on the Clinical Pharmacy Congress website on September 24th. Nima asked the panel, what are your top three concerns on the long-term effects of COVID-19? For this podcast, we've compiled the highlights from their responses. The first speaker was Harpreet Chana, founder of the Mental Wealth Academy. I'm, be- I'm being very serious when I say make no bones about it. We have a tidal wave um, of mental health issues that are about to hit us as a profession. And I think um, even the surveys that have been done from pre-lockdown to now have only started to grasp a little bit of the problem. It's only going to get worse. Um, over Certainly over the last few months, what we've seen is um, there's been an easing of sort of mental ill health because we've had a, an easing of lockdown. Uh, we've had the good weather, which has allowed us all to get together outdoors. Um, we've had the furlough scheme in place. So, you know, people are being paid, albeit not the 100 percent, but they are still getting some um, income. We've had um, the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which has encouraged us to go out and it's given the retail and hospitality sector a a massive boost that it needs. Um, We've had less incidents of infection and there's been less deaths, there's been less reports of it in the news. And so it's almost, it's not that it's not always there, it is at the back of our mind, but it's not been at the forefront, allowing us to be able to relax a little bit and in some places probably become a little bit complacent. And of course the kids have been off, so there's been no homeschooling as well as having to juggle work. And so... There's been almost this last sort of six weeks or so, well, a couple of months, everyone sort of, you know, eased off a little bit and, and, you know, it's all precious off. And now, of course, with um, the current, you know, the recent announcement, we're now facing six months of not only winter, which in itself brings the challenges that I'm sure my colleagues are going to talk about. But from a mental health point of view, we have a lot of people in this country that suffer with um, with SAD because it's it is cold and wet and dark and nobody wants to leave the house. Um, So we have that on the horizon, the increased number of infections that we know is going to happen with the potential second wave, um, potential lockdown nationwide. I mean, we've seen localised lockdown already, but will that be nationwide again? And then, of course, the threat of massive recession. And I know we've had an announcement today that's going to ease some of that pressure, but there is a real uh, worry and threat of a huge economic recession that means a lot more people will be out of work. And so with all that in mind, um, to try and come up with the top three concerns that I could, um, I've tried to, to to pick the top three that I think are going to, um, you know, uh, hit us the most in pharmacy. And I think the first one is the loneliness and the isolation um, that people will feel. And um, and I'm talking patients who've had it and patients who haven't, by the way. So this is just patients in general. The loneliness and isolation that people will feel, um, and it's not just people who live alone. And I, I really want to make that point because we we pick up on the fact that people who live alone might be feeling lonely and isolated, particularly the elderly. There's a lot of other people, myself included, who have been at home since you know the end of February. And um, I now, my son has gone back to school. And even me this week was thinking, you know what? It's a bit lonely being in the house by myself all day. Yes, I do a lot of Zoom calls, but it's not quite the same as that human connection. And so there's going to be a huge population of people that aren't still in the offices, that are still working from home, And yes, whilst they might have a family, might still feel a little bit isolated and a bit lonely. And the long term effect of that, of course, is depression. And we're seeing that already. We're seeing the, um, you know, the increase in in the amount of depression already. 
And so that's a concern. The second one is the huge amount of stress that's around, not just because of the infection, but again, as I said, some of the economic fallout from the infection that we're all going to, uh, you know, that most of us are going to have to, to deal with. And of course, over a long period of time, that stress can become anxiety. And so then we're going to see a lot of people having to, to deal with anxiety. And I remember the recession of 2008 and nine, the amount of people that came in for SSRI prescriptions absolutely skyrocketed because of the amount of people that were losing their jobs, particularly in the young uh, sort of 16 to 24 age bracket. There was a lot of, um, you know, ill mental health at the time. So again, that's another concern that there is a huge wave of anxiety coming towards us in terms of our patient suffering. And then finally, I wanted to just pick up on trauma because this is probably one that we don't hear a lot about. And this isn't just for patients who've been through it, who are gonna have the trauma and potential issues following their illness, but actually the people who've lost loved ones and they've not been able to say goodbye to them. Um, the people who um, are working within either healthcare, our colleagues or um, in the care sector as well, who've had to witness horrific things and they're just keeping going because that's what we do, isn't it? We put our, the care of our patients first and we just muddle on through. But, but again, that will hit at some point. Once that adrenaline has worn off and we've come out of that kind of stress reaction phase, we will have to face um, the uh, impact and the fallout of that amount of stress and trauma that we've, 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 we've um, you know, experienced and that our patients will experience. Um, and so, and, and not just that, the grief as well. I think that's a really big one um, to, to point out. It's a lot of grief. People are losing their loved ones and, there's, and, and losing jobs and there's grief in that as well. So, you know, these really are the three top things that I wanted to pick up on. Um, and all three of them together, uh, they compound what comes out as a big increased risk in suicide and suicidal thoughts. And, um, you know, a, a survey that was done in the middle of um, the lockdown, or middle of lockdown said that one in 10 UK adults had had um, suicidal thoughts in the previous two weeks to that survey. And that's massive. And within that, again, younger sector, it's even more. Um, it's something like, oh, you know, uh, it's, it's a ridiculous amount. I think it was like a third of all uh, people surveyed under, you know, under the age of 34 had had these thoughts. So some really big issues that we need to try and tackle. And I'm hoping that in the questions we can talk about, um, you know, it comes out about coping mechanisms, how we can encourage ourselves and our patients um, to really start implementing some positive coping mechanisms. The next speaker was Tom Cooper, lead cardiology pharmacist at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust in London. Some of the direct effects is that there appears to be a link of increased thrombosis with COVID-19 patients. So this appears to be linked to heart attacks and PEs. Um, there's an increased risk of just cardiac, general cardiac injury um, in the form of things like myocarditis, um, an increased prevalence of heart failure. Um, and what we also found is patients that had, uh, patients that had increased cardiac uh, troponin elevation tended to have much worse uh, mortality rates. Um, some of the indirect uh, kind of concerns um, were altered usual care pathways um, were stopped or reduced or you know, things like changing face-to-face -to, -face to um, virtual appointments, that kind of thing, elective procedures being stopped or put on hold, uh, health care resource allocation, so reduction in um, kind of certain services, reduction in health-seeking behaviour from patients themselves, um, reduced attendances via A&Es and um, kind of admissions ward for acute medical conditions. Um, so, for example, MIs are the big one in cardiovascular disease and heart failure exacerbation. 
Next up was Gary McDonald, respiratory pharmacist consultant at University Hospital Crosshouse in Kilmarnock. My three biggest concerns so far is where are these patients? As Thomas said, where are these MIs that didn't turn up? Where are these oncology referrals? Where are these patients who should be turning up on our doorstep who haven't been? Where are these new, for me, respiratory, where are my new COPD patients? We already know that COPD affects 3 million people in the UK, but there's only 1 million being diagnosed. We're still looking for the other 2 million. It's going to be harder now to find those other patients because they're not coming forward. My second point really is the patients who have went through this, are they going to get back to some sort of normality? What is going to be normal? Well, they have to draw a line under these things. And as Harpeet was saying as well, what's going to be normal in the future? Uh, what do we then accept? But disease-wise, are we going to get lung function back in our asthmatics? And, and finally, really, and this is where I want to really bring it into home, how's pharmacy going to cope? And by pharmacy, I mean us as pharmacists, our pharmacy technicians and our staff. You know, like the Timex watch used to say, it takes a licking but keeps on ticking. Pharmacy took a massive licking. We are still ticking, but I'm just really worried about the future now, especially coming to the end of 2020 with a flu season on the horizon. And I'm really worried about a second phase or a second spike as well, because we've taken a licking. I just hope we can keep on ticking. Final speaker was Oksana Pizik, the lead on the outbreak of infectious diseases and global citizenship programme at University College London's School of Pharmacy. It's not just people who've been hospitalised, um, who've had uh, serious um, cases of COVID that we need to be concerned about. Uh, the WHO at uh, my last meeting with the Director of Safety and Essential Services, Ed Kelly, and I discussed uh, about the increasing number of um, patient groups that are being self-formed, self-organized, who have had very mild um, coronavirus, uh, but over time have either had a resurgence of symptoms or other types of complications. Uh, and this has become an increasing point of concern for the WHO. So they are uh, now examining this issue and hoping for the next clinical update to, to give better guidance on this. But we are uh, learning about this. So it is very, very difficult to give um, real-time uh, guidance because things are changing so quickly. As uh, Tom had mentioned, you know, from week to week, uh, we learn um, essentially something new about the virus and that can change the direction in, in, in how we approach this. Um, so some of these self-organized groups, including um, Survivor Corps, have uh, essentially worked with other groups to essentially get a better, uh, from a research perspective, understanding of what types of symptoms we're talking about for how long. And it's critical that this research continues. And early results of certain surveys show that actually there's a lot of confusion amongst patients. So um, they... They are having problems. They know that the NH the government has announced that they're creating these long COVID type clinics, uh, but they, the, the communication and the messaging has been uh, confusing to them. They don't know uh, where they can access it, um, what the criteria is. So it, from that perspective, uh, patients are uh, feeling as though they, they are unsure what to do and they're feeling unsupported. So that's... Uh, incredibly important and actually a big opportunity uh, for community pharmacy um, to help support uh, the populations. Um, equally, another thing that I think is uh, 
tied into this aspect of long COVID and equal concern from a, a global health perspective, how we feed into policy, uh, is there seems to be a bit of disregard about young people's health um, in the sense that, oh, well, most of it is mild. So um, there are some components of herd immunity. Um, let's let this new, new novel virus rip through the uh, through the young people because they'll survive, um, and that has of course been extremely uh, controversial. And that is not um, the the government uh, current approach. But we do know that uh, there are certain proponents of this strategy, and other countries have taken other approaches as well. Um, and for, I think a part of this is falling susceptible to medical populism. So uh, in that sense, looking for quick and easy solutions that can um, sound attractive. So previously we could have looked at hydro hydroxychloroquine as an example of this. Uh, but on the whole, what we are seeing is that there is an increase uh, both in absolute and relative terms of uh, young people who are not only uh, presenting, uh, who, who are infectious, but who actually do develop symptoms as well. So, so that is increasing. And as we are still learning about the long-term clinical effects, uh, it, it would be, I think, uh, morally irresponsible to allow for that to occur. Um, and the, the other argument as well for, if we look at uh, a whole cadre of infectious diseases. We know that uh, natural herd immunity has not occurred for diseases like smallpox, uh, yellow fever, cholera, uh, measles, uh, etc. So uh, there's, there is a strong um, pushback against this. And if we're, we're looking at long COVID specifically, we really have to understand this better uh, before advocating for such solutions. That was Harpreet Chana, Tom Cooper, Gary McDonald, and Oksana Pizik talking to Nima Kalachand. If you'd like to find out more about how pharmacists can support patients with long-term effects of COVID-19, please read the CPD on the topic on the Celine D website. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe via iTunes or your preferred Android app. Thanks very much for listening.